Hello and welcome to the Remnant Podcast. I'm Paula. And I'm Carrie. And we're here to tell you a little bit about us. So let's get started. Carrie, why don't you tell everyone about your background? Well, Paula, I am a nurse practitioner and by certification, I'm a family nurse practitioner and I got my postgraduate certificate in acute care. Um, but really all I've ever done is emergency medicine for about the last 15, 16 years. And then probably more importantly, I'm a mom, um, a wife, and a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Oh, and I I am the executive director of Reclaim 611 and a co-founder. There's three of us, but um, I'm one of them as well. That's great. That's great. How about you, Paula? Tell us about you. Well, I am a licensed clinical pastoral counselor, which simply means I'm a licensed Christian counselor. I have over 10 years of experience in the mental health field. Um, I love people. I am a mother. I have two daughters, one who is actually grown, um, and... Yeah, so that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. So I think we're going to just talk a little bit um, about how we met. Yes. (laughs) Why don't you tell the people the wonderful story about how we met? Okay, so our story is really exciting, but actually it doesn't really involve me, but it does involve a Carrie. So one of our other co-founders, Carrie Taylor, she was, you know, hanging out the gym, decided to go in the sauna, sitting there sweating it out, and um, she said the Lord just spoke to her and said, you need to go talk to this woman that was sitting across from her. And she said, at the time you had this like rad purple hair and apparently you're in a black hoodie, according to her. And she was like, Lord, you really want me to go talk to the girl with the purple hair and the black hoodie? And uh, sure enough, she went and talked to you and you started talking to her about your background and your story and just happened to mention human trafficking. And I think Carrie probably just about lost it when you when you said that and knew that you needed to meet me and um, some of the things we'd been talking about and just needing connections with people who have like working in this space and really understood human trafficking. So you were one of the first people I think we had what coffee within like two weeks and you just like were just an initial mentor to me and helped me kind of guide me in what to read and what to look up and just like such a blessing. And then here we are today. Yeah, um, that was a very interesting experience. I can still remember it as though it was yesterday. Um, generally, when I go in the gym and when I go in the sauna, in the sauna, I'm thinking it's too hot to talk. So let's just sit here. Let's just sweat it out and get out of here. But Carrie approached me that day and it caught me off guard, actually, because, again, I'm just sitting there trying to get through my 10 or 15 minutes of being in the sauna. And she said, tell me your story. And I, I paused for a second and I'm like, what can I tell her about? So I think I gave her like the last three years of my life, um, which did include me being involved with sex trafficking. And so, you know, we talked and she got so excited when I mentioned the part about sex trafficking. I mean, she got so excited to where she got teary eyed. She was like, I need you to meet my friend, Carrie. I need you to meet my friend, Carrie. She, she would love you. She would love this information. Do, do you mind if I have your number? Can I get your number and we can exchange numbers and I can set something up for you all to meet? I was like, sure. So I really believed that moment was a God moment and a God connection. Um, and I'm very sensitive to when God is, you know, leading people or leading me and, because of that moment, like you said, we're here today. So I'm glad I, I didn't come off as mean or as wanting, not wanting to be bothered, but I'm, I'm glad that I was able to talk to her and meet you. Yes. And thank you, Carrie, for listening to the spirit and being you. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. 
So, Carrie, why don't you tell us how you became interested in human trafficking? You know, what's really interesting about that is I really had no interest in it. Like, I would say that I was definitely the person who really just thought of human trafficking and believed that slavery existed still, right? And that it probably existed overseas, most likely. Um, But I really didn't understand it in the context of, you know, Dallas, Texas. And I went to an event at church and there was this organization and they were just kind of handing out information and selling things. And I stopped and talked to the group there and they started telling me about human trafficking. And I literally remember asking the lady, so like, what country do you serve in? Yeah, for real. And she just looked at me like probably like poor, sweet girl. And I was like, no, 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 we're this, we're Dallas based organization. And I just kind of kept staring at her and really just felt totally rocked. I don't even remember the feelings. It was almost like a numb sensation. And then later in that evening at that event, um, there was this um, lady who stood up during this worship time and she just thanked God for rescuing her or sending the man sitting next to her to rescue her from her trafficker. And I just like broke that night. Um, It just became such a reality and the fact that it's in our backyard and left just totally changed. And I didn't really know what that meant though. So, I mean, fast forward, that was over 10 years ago. So fast forward today, um, I I just kept taking kind of the next step and seeing how I could be involved in what was next for me. And, um, you know, now we're here. But yeah, it was not something that I like particularly had an interest in or passion about until, um, like I just kind of got knocked upside the head. Gotcha. How about you, Paula? You actually, uh, you've been, you've been working with, um, women in sex trafficking for a lot longer than I have. So, uh, back in 2013, when I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, my teacher slash counselor at the time, um, she mentioned to me about a particular ministry in Shreveport, Louisiana, And they are responsible for helping women in the sex industry. The the ministry was called Purchased Ministry. And basically what they are there for, they help women who want to come out of the life. They help them adjust so they give them um, free health care. They have a place to live, um, life skills, job skills, job readiness, all of this stuff they have at their disposal. So what I did, I went over there as a volunteer And I conducted group therapy with strippers and prostitutes. And that was actually one of the most fulfilling things I did because that experience allowed me to understand that regardless of your vocation, regardless of what you do in life to survive, we all have basically the same needs, the same problems, um, same things we want to figure out, like how to provide for our children, how to work through difficult situations, how to manage our anger, just different things. So it, it really opened my eyes to, you know, how they live and that they're no different from me. They, their life is just a different path. Then I worked, um, in Dallas County, I worked at a, uh, runaway shelter and a residential treatment center. The interesting thing about the runaway shelter is the doors are not locked. So basically if the kids run away and the cops bring them into us, they also can run away from the facility and we can do nothing once they cross that threshold. Once they run out of that door, we could do nothing. And we had many young ladies who would come in who were 
being pimped or being trafficked. And a lot of them would run away back to their pimps. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to see it. And I remember one of the workers going the extra mile um, and it was before I started working there, but I was told the story. Um, one of the young ladies ran out and she ran away and this worker got in her car and she literally followed the young lady. Now, she couldn't make her get in the car, but she followed her at a distance, you know, to see where she was going. And so she called the cops once she figured out where the girl was going. And when the cops broke in, uh, they were about to rape that young lady. They were about to sodomize her. So thank God for the intervention of that worker who was able to just go the extra mile and just pursue you know, this young lady and, and, and try to help out the best way she could. And then I worked at the treatment center, which involved adolescent girls. Um, and they experienced so much trauma from sexual abuse, uh, drug abuse, all kinds of things, things you, you can't even imagine that a child would have to figure out some things so early in life. So that's been my experience. Um, and, and I guess, when I was in Shreveport, I became interested in sex trafficking because my heart went out to the women who lived as though they were only worth a service. All right. Only worth a service, meaning they get paid for sex. They do whatever for sex. And, and my heart went out to them because I, I just felt like there's so much more value in you than being paid for a service. So that's where my passion comes from with um, helping out with this and trying to eradicate it and be an advocate the best way I can. Wow. You know, one of the things you were talking about is how the open doors with the, with the girls and they can leave any time. And I don't, with my experience, I know that that's really hard when you can't make somebody leave but to have like those open doors where, you know, they're coming in for help and then they're walking out. Like, how did you how did you cope with that? It was actually very hard because, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking what's going to happen when they get in the street? Like, you don't know if they're going to live to be able to come back and get the help again or if they are going to be. You know, it, it was hard, Carrie, I mean. I actually had to take a break from it because that's how hard it was mentally. It, it, it's taxing and being such a strong feeling individual as I am, it, it was definitely, it caused me some sleepless nights. It caused me to shed some tears. Um, it caused me to be even more vigilant with my daughters to be able to teach them so they can be aware of what's going on. Cause that's another thing I did at the treatment center. We would uh, conduct group sessions where we would teach the girls about the life and what to expect and um, what they might experience or how they might be approached. And you would be surprised that they would even tell us some things that we didn't know um, that was outside of the book, even though the book was written from the perspective of survivors, um, there were still some things that we didn't know that they were able to share with us. So it's, it's very eye opening for sure. Wow. And just the, like you said, just the sleepless nights, like those cases don't ever like leave your brain. Right. You no, know? it's just, you replay it and replay it. And you, like you said, you think about your kids and other kids, you know, and your nieces and nephews and all those things. And it's just, 
um, it just rises. Yeah, that passion, but it, it is a hard space. It's a really hard space to mm-hmm. be in. Mm-hmm. So, um, Carrie, why don't you tell everybody how did Reclaim start? Well, Reclaim started with three nurses. So, as I said, outside of myself, Carrie Taylor and Candace Rich, um, both registered nurses and nurse practitioners. Candace Rich is a pediatric nurse practitioner. And we really got together and we just knew we wanted to do something. And so we kind of looked in the community, try to get involved and, you know, doors kept closing on us and opportunities just didn't turn out to be what we thought. And so we kind of like took it back to the basics and we were like, you know, we're three like pretty nerdy nurses. So let's just do what we know what to do. And that's research, right? Like just the stool it review. And so we gathered as much information as we could and we just started reading through um, literature and started realizing there was this intersection between human trafficking and healthcare. So we all looked at each other because we're like, there's a reason all three of us are in the medical field. So what can we do? And we really just felt very passionate about helping our own profession. And so that's kind of where Reclaim started. And Reclaim uh, stands for restoring every captive by listening, asking, intervening, and mobilizing. So what we do is we teach the three R's, which is recognize, respond, and report. So we worked for I mean, since 2017, we've come up with curriculum, mostly for first responders, healthcare, um, on how to identify um, survivors and, and how to intervene. So, and, and we've worked with what's been so cool. We've worked with law enforcement, FBI, local nonprofits in the area to really make sure we're not making any mistakes, that we're thinking about everything. Um, we're keeping every, we're trying to keep everybody safe as possible and really just learning the best trauma-informed care, like patient-centered, survivor-centered care. Um, so it's been really exciting. So we're about three years in. We're relatively new. Uh, but yeah, we're really just passionate about education and, and protocol implementation. Okay. When you say you realized that something was missing in the healthcare system, you know, you're like, it's, we, we're three nurses, we, we are here, same common goal. What was that thing that you all realized that was missing? Well, we just realized like that you, you can't, you have to have a protocol essentially. So you can teach people all day long, especially healthcare, what to do. Um, and, and you can give them all of the red flags. But when it comes down to it, you have somebody sitting in front of you and they meet all of these red flags. What do you do in a safe way? Um, and that's just like what people come in the emergency room all the time and they have chest pain or stroke-like symptoms. And you automatically know what to do. And there are protocols for it. It's not a guessing game. Um, but in this instance, hospitals lack protocol in this area. And we're like, we need to do this. It shouldn't be any different. Um, domestic violence or child abuse, human trafficking should should have the same type of um, protocol response. Gotcha. So here's the thing. So you all did all of this research, right? And what I believe is once you have knowledge about a certain subject area, your eyes become open to things you may not have seen before. So since you all developed this curriculum, have you noticed an increase in your ability to do, to be able to identify Maybe some things you may have overlooked in the past. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a very humbling experience because you realize how many years I've missed this. Um, when your eyes are open and, you know, I 
was like, I've spent 13 years at that point missing a victim sitting right in front of me. And I knew something was wrong. Those cases, you get that gut check. Um, and you're like, something's not right, but I really don't know what it is. And I certainly don't know what to do about it. And so since our eyes have really been opened, um, I personally probably have encountered about 20 human trafficking victims um, in my in my personal practice. Now, most of all of those are sex trafficking. We do teach labor trafficking as well, um, since it is actually um, larger than sex trafficking on a global level. Um, but all of my cases have been sex trafficking victims. Okay. Well, of those 20 cases that you identified, were they at a point where they were willing to leave or did they just, once you identified it, maybe they just opened up or how, how did that go for you? You know, it's been like everyone is a little bit different. And that's what's been interesting also is like every case is incredibly unique. Um, sometimes, as you talked about, um, that you're just not ready to leave. And that's the same in healthcare. We do have to respect their choices. If they're an adult, um, they do have a choice. We can't force them to report. We can't force them to leave. Um, a little bit different with reporting for minors, of course, as mandatory reporters, but um, it is really hard to sit there and um, have someone tell you their situation and know that they have an opportunity for us to help them get to a safe place and to prepare a plan and um, they're just not ready to leave. And then I've had that and everywhere too, an active case where we've had an interstate trafficking case in our ED um, to what I would consider a win. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just incredibly different. And and some cases are also women who are um, women and men who have been in drug a drug addiction mm-hmm. because it's so intertwined in trafficking. And really the the addict um, the, that I would normally just pin as maybe the addict coming in is actually a victim of 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 trafficking. OK, let's go back to something you said. You said you had a win. Tell me about how you felt um, when you had that win from your initial suspicion to working through it to achieving the win? So it's kind of a crazy story. I can't not tell the story because, uh, you know, you do all of this education and teaching people and you really are like, is it? you have to put it into practice. And we did have an opportunity pretty early on and just actually had a conversation with a coworker of mine about two weeks before and she, um, she, we were just having a conversation about trafficking and signs and all of these things. And she called me on a shift one day and was like, hey, Carrie, what are the signs of trafficking again? So we were kind of texting back and forth. I'm like, well, what's going on? So she tells me this situation. And I happened to be going into work that day. So I actually went in a little early and um, went down there, kind of assessed the situation, listened to the nursing staff that had been in the rooms. And automatically, Paula, I'm telling you, I knew it was trafficking. I knew who the pimp was. Um, I knew what we called the bottom girl was. And I knew um, the other victim. And that she was probably going to be the one that I could talk to. And so I went in talking, went to talk to her. And um, she described essentially being interstate trafficked. Mm. And she was from um, Washington, D.C. and had been trafficked into Atlanta, Georgia, and had been around the country for what seemed like probably a couple months. Wow. So honestly, I took the our 611 protocol that we had developed and implemented it from trauma-informed care. And, you know, um, even with all the nerves, we I got the right we got the right law enforcement there. I remember her her looking me in the eyes and telling me I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. 
And we called her parents there and um, essentially got her back to um, where she was from. And so, I mean, that day was a day of kind of the entire staff, just like, what just happened? Wow. You know? Um, so that was for sure a win and just an eye-opener that um, that education works and protocol does work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was – I would consider that our – our first, um, our first win and just like really exciting. Nice. That, that sounds like one of those instances where you're like, okay, we've put in all this work. Now it's time to see the fruit of our labor. Right. So, uh, my other question is when you identify the victims, how do you approach them and how do they respond? Well, as you probably experience as well, just talking to people all the time, like it, it's a mutual respect, right? It's talking to somebody like um, you generally care for them, that you have compassion for them and that you're not there to judge them. It's sitting next to them and having a conversation, um, just taking a little extra time, um, ensuring that you're there for their safety, ensuring that information they're giving you um, outside of mandatory reporting is confidential, um, and, and asking the right questions, which is a lot of what we teach. Um, and maybe just not asking our normal, you know, kind of like laundry list of, of questions we do in the hospital, but taking a little extra time to understand. Um, so, I mean, it really just treating them with respect, um, like a human being. And some of them will actually tell you, I don't, I don't know how I'm countless amount of people have told me that, um, no one's ever sat here and asked me those questions. Nobody ever has cared enough to ask me some of those questions. And the reason why I know that they opened up is because it was just that little extra time um, to really understand their situation and how we could help or what were resources they needed. Okay. So you've come in contact with several survivors, correct? Yes, ma'am. All right. So what is the one thing they tell you that maybe people missed with them that maybe somebody maybe they could have come out sooner if somebody would have asked a specific question you know i think that um although everyone's every situation's a little different and trauma is um, a little deeper and in some cases than others what's really been eye-opening is it's super simple the majority of survivors I have talked to has have said that if someone had just asked if they are okay. Wow. And these are women who have had babies in hospitals while being trafficked, wow. um, have been in emergency rooms multiple times, urgent cares, Planned Parenthoods, that said if someone really sat down with them and asked them if they were okay, they, they, may, have t- they may have talked to them or opened up to them. Wow. So... I know all of your training is in regard to nursing and protocols for nurses, but just, let's just say I'm an average person, right? And I'm out in public. I may be at a restaurant or at some kind of social event and I bump into somebody in the bathroom. And in my mind, you know, something doesn't look right. Something doesn't feel right. What would you suggest? How do I approach that kind of situation? That's a great question. And obviously every situation is going to be a little different. Um, and, and please add on to this if, if you have, um, extra, um, but I, I would say that you really just need to make sure that you can talk to them alone. Um, 
the reason why is you never know who a trafficker is. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's mom, dad, uncle, brother, sister. I mean, you have no idea. And it could, literally a trafficker could be anybody. And so just making sure that whatever you do, if you can get them to the side, if you can get them around a corner, by a bathroom, whatever it is, is just um, I'm getting them by themselves. And I think simply asking, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can start there. Mm-hmm. Other things is just knowing your resources. Um, there's a human trafficking hotline that anybody can call at any time, and they are a resource. And so maybe just a quick, a quick resource, um, a national resource for um, a victim, which also could be used for labor trafficking if you're in a restaurant or other places um, um, or a nail salon or, or whatever, and you're concerned about something, um, you can also um, give them that number. Okay, great. So just keep in mind, are you okay? Something are you as, okay? Something as simple as, are you okay? Yep. Okay. Well, Carrie, you have given us a wealth of information, and I'm sure we could sit here and talk about this for a long time, but we are going to cut it short today. But I want to ask you this question. What's something you think everybody should know? You know, one thing I think everyone should know is that um, I'm going to speak mostly to healthcare professionals on this one, um, but it's it's estimated that up to... 65 to 85% of sex trafficking victims come in contact with a healthcare professional um, while they're being trafficked. Wow. And so I really believe based on that statistic that in every um, facility around the nation, around the globe, that we're seeing victims every day. Um, And um, probably not missing it every time. I know there's a lot of educated people out there, um, but we really um, need to have our eyes open to that. So that's what I, that's one thing I would say to all those healthcare professionals, just um, important to understand um, just the impact of that. And then I actually am really excited because I think you have, you have some, um, some things everyone really needs to know. Well, mine are based on my experience, my, my past knowledge. And so basically a runaway has 48 hours before they are approached by a trafficker. So if a runaway is on the street for about 48 hours, they're almost guaranteed to be approached by a trafficker. And another statistic I heard that was just kind of mind-blowing in a uh, training I was in about a month ago, it said that 90% of strippers have been involved in sex trafficking. Wow. There's such a stigma there, huh? Yeah, for real. Wow, those are... Those are great ones. And yeah, that 48 hour, I've, I've heard that as well. And I've actually met a couple people, um, victims that have stories that are like within the 48 hours being picked up by a pimp at a gas station or something else. So that's, uh, I think that's really true. Wow. All right. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in to the podcast. I'm Paula. I'm Carrie. And we just want to let you know if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at www.support you know what I, that's not the way you want it just support at support at what is it support at reclaim no email just just look we're at www. 
Reclaim611.org. Yeah, that's the website. And then you can click on and navigate through the website and uh, you can get in touch with us. It's support at Reclaim611.org. Sorry, y'all. I don't know. Got really tongue tied. That's the email address. (laughs) (laughs) So again, thank you all for tuning in and we look forward to coming back and sharing more information with you all next week. Bye, y'all.